where I read two questions. Do you believe that all the Bible is God's word? Stop and think about that. Do you believe that all of the Bible is God's word? Secondly, do you believe that God's word is infallible and inerrant? Because this passage is going to be very troubling. This passage is going to be very challenging. Some of you will not be happy with this passage. Some of you might even say, I don't know how this passage, how God could have even written something like this. I just don't accept it. I just don't believe it. Now, you may not come outwardly and say those words, but actions will speak louder than words. Let's read God's Word. The first ten verses is holy, infallible, inerrant Word. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Or am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's again bow in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Bible that you've given us, the inerrant word. And even though we read a difficult passage here, we ask that you'll be with Pastor Bob as he explains this to us, and that we would accept the simple gospel instead of newfangled ideas that come along. We ask this in your name alone. Amen. And amen. Three things from our passage this morning. First of all, Paul's surprise. Secondly, Paul's statement. Thirdly, Paul's servanthood. Paul's surprise, Paul's statement, Paul's servanthood. The surprise that Paul has here, the I am astonished, 
or other versions perhaps have, I marvel, is not in the sense of a positive. This is not a positive astonishment. This is not a a girl uh, who has just finished a news broadcast and suddenly uh, her soon-to-be fiancé appears there at the filming site and bends his knee before her and presents her with a diamond ring. That is a surprise as well, isn't it? That is an astonishment. That's something we would say one could marvel at. But one would say that's in a positive sense. Perhaps you have been present at the birth of a child. Now you know the child was coming, but when the child is actually delivered and and is there before your eyes, you're, you're surprised, you're astonished, you marvel at this. This is in a positive sense. Paul here is expressing this surprise, not a surprise of joy, but it's a surprise of disappointment. It's the surprise that says, how could you? Or how could that be? Perhaps you just went in for a routine physical for the doctor and they did some blood work and and afterwards the doctor, as perhaps is the custom because of age or whatever, family says, you know, come to my office, I need to discuss the results of the physical with you and there he says before you, you have full-blown cancer, there is nothing we can do for you. That's the surprise Of negativity. How can that be? No. Or I'm sure that the folks, and I know some of you have received these phone calls as well, the folks who received the phone call about the state trooper a week or so ago, having to hear the news, he's killed in a motorcycle collision. How can that be? Paul here is surprised in the negative. How can it be? I am astonished. What is it that that Paul is astonished about as you look at the text of verse 6? He's astonished about the fact that they have so quickly turned to a different gospel. Now Paul is quick to add, which is no gospel at all. It's, It's not like there are competing gospels out there. There is only one true gospel. But what he's saying is that this is uh, what we would say a diversion from, a distortion of the gospel, of the true gospel that Paul had preached to them. Last Lord's Day when we began this series, we went back to Galatia and I, I told you about Paul's two missionary journeys there. He had preached Christ. He had preached the true gospel. That we are justified by faith in Christ alone. That had been the theme of Paul's preaching. That is the theme of Paul's missionary work. That is what he preached to the church of Galatia. That is the gospel. He's surprised. How can it be that you have so quickly turned to a different form? Not the true gospel, but, but you're turning to a distortion of it, a change of it. You're accepting something that, that was not preached to you, that was not explained to you, that was not taught to you. 
Thirdly, Paul says in regards to that, and I'm surprised that you're doing it so quickly. Remember one of the things I told you about the people who settled this area of Galatia, the Gauls, they are an extremely temperamental people. They are very fickle. They change quickly. We see that in that that passage of of Paul preaching to them and they think he's a god and they want to build monuments to him and offer sacrifices and Paul says, no, no, I'm not a god. And then they're picking up stones and wanting to kill him. Changing so quickly. But Paul is looking at this as well in terms of, how could you so, here here was the true gospel that was preached to you. How, How could you so quickly accept a distortion of that? Why, why are you even contemplating it? Why are you allowing yourselves to be influenced by the, this gospel that is no gospel at all, that pretends to be the gospel, that, that puts itself out, as, promotes itself as the gospel, that says it's got backing, historical backing for its gospel. Paul says it, it's no gospel at all. And you're doing so, so quickly. Historically, we we believe that this book, uh, Galatians, was written somewhere between two to five years after Paul's last missionary journey there. So imagine what is happening here. A missionary goes out, preaches the gospel. Churches are established. Two years later, That missionary finds out that those people who had come to Christ had come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, had come to understand the gospel of being justified by faith through Christ alone, are accepting something else. They're setting this aside as being old and not needed, or perhaps too narrow, and accepting something that is wider or more inclusive, or something that is narrower and more binding. Imagine the disappointment, especially if that were to happen within a two-year window. I'm astonished that you so quickly are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. It's not good news. That you're hearing. There is only one good news. That takes us to the the second point. Paul's statement. But even if we. Verse 8. But even if we. Or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you. Let him be accursed. And then he repeats it. As I've said before, I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one received, let him be accursed. What is going on here? What is this false gospel that is being promoted? To Paul, and here's here's where we come back to those opening questions. To Paul, to the book of Galatians, To the inspired word, there is only one gospel. 
There are not multitude of Gospels, and it doesn't matter which of the Gospels you believe, as long as it's Gospel. There are not other Gospels. And the heart comes back to that which Luther needed to learn, that which every Christian needs to learn, that which represents the true Gospel. And I'll say it again, and you're going to hear it again multiple times. That we are justified by faith through Christ alone. The true gospel. Everything else, Paul says, is a distortion. You waver from that, you have another gospel. You do not have the truth. Paul could have been much more straightforward with the Galatian churches themselves. But I want you to understand there is a tenderness in Paul here. He does not unleash both barrels of the shotgun at the members of the church. He unleashes it upon those who are bringing the false gospel. Paul is doing so in order to win the Galatians back. They need to see the seriousness of the road that they are on. He does not say, may all you members of the churches of Galatia be accursed. He says, may those who bring these false gospels be accursed. But that comes as the warning, isn't it? It comes to the warning to those in those churches of Galatia that he loved dearly. To call them back. To leave the false gospels. To come back to Christ. You might say, well, what exactly is the false gospel that is being proclaimed? What's being foisted upon these Galatians? What, 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 what What is happening? Well, we'll summarize it because Paul will spend... Lots of time in this in the book of Galatians, but, but let me give you the, the, the outcropping of it, the, 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 the scenario of it. There were those who had come to these churches in Galatia preaching Christ. But they're preaching Christ plus. You have to be circumcised plus you have to obey Old Testament Jewish customs. To be a Christian, you need Christ, you need the cross, so you'd hear them preach Jesus dying on the cross for sin. You'd hear that from their mouths. But there is also the inclusion of the fact, but unless you're circumcised, you can't truly be saved. Unless you follow Old Testament dietary customs, you can't be saved. Unless you follow Old Testament practices, you can't be saved. True Christians, true Christians, true believers, those who are truly saved are those who would 
put their faith in Jesus Christ, but also follow Jewish rules and customs. Only then is there salvation. Paul says, let them be accursed. Because that's really no gospel, you see. And you say, well, well, isn't Christ being preached? Yes, but it's Christ plus. And you see the stance of Galatians, the stance of Paul, the stance of the Reformation, the stance of the Word of God is that it's Christ only. Now step back from this and, and ask yourself, can, can the gospel, can false gospels appear in other ways other than Christ plus Old Testament customs? And the answer to that is, of course. We would say false religions preach a gospel of their own, right? Hinduism preaches a certain gospel. Buddhism preaches a certain gospel. Taoism preaches a certain gospel. Islam preaches a certain gospel. But they are all Christless. There is no Christ at all. And of course we'd say, well, of course that's wrong. Of course that's a false gospel, that which we hear from the Dalai Lama. That, that's wrong. But you see, it's also when you preach Christ minus. It's when you preach Christ without the cross. That you preach a bloodless Christ. That you preach a Christ who is just a good teacher. That you just preach a Christ who is a rabbi. That you just preach a Christ who doesn't really substitute himself for our sin. That you preach a Christ minus sin. That you preach a Christ minus justification. That too, you see, is a false gospel. Oh, you'll sing songs, Jesus, lover of my soul. The songs will resound. You'll probably even be able to enter that church and sing the hymn that we're going to close with. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. But what you will hear from the pulpit is Christ minus. There will not be a talk of him dying on a cross for sin. There will not be a talk of sin. That is to be accursed. Plus all the ways in which we have Christ plus. See, we here it's Christ plus Jewish customs. How many churches could we not enter in where the definition would be this, Christ plus the law? Boy, if you don't observe the moral law, you can't be a Christian. Oh, you hear Christ, you hear justified by faith, but you also hear, and unless you obey perfectly the law of God, thou shalt not be saved. That's a false gospel. That's adding to God's truth. And we are not to add to God's truth. Or you have Christ plus the Spirit. Well, you know, you're not really a Christian. Well, you know, you, that, that's fine. You believe that simplicity of the gospel. You know, uh, Jesus Christ died to save sinners. But have you received the Holy Spirit? 
Can you speak in tongues? Unless you can speak in tongues, you see, you're not really a Christian. Paul would say, let them be accursed. Because it robs Christ of the glory alone that is due His name. But you see, Christ plus takes other forms. It's Christ plus works. It's Christ plus my acts of obedience. These acts of obedience stand me in good stead. Christ makes it possible for me to be saved, but I've got to finish the work. Let them be accursed. Or it's Christ plus baptism. Yes, unless you're baptized, you cannot be saved. Unless you're baptized with our baptism. Unless you're baptized in our particular mode of baptism. You can't even be a member of our church unless you've had our particular mode of baptism. So is it Christ alone or is it Christ plus a certain type of baptism that is needed in order to be a Christian? To be truly saved. Or it's Christ plus a certain form of worship. A certain style of worship. If, if you go to a church, you hear Christ proclaimed. You hear the true gospel. But you know, the form of worship doesn't really follow what we do in our church. That's not good enough. It's got to be a specific form. And if it isn't a specific form, well then your church, I, I, I feel sorry for you folks because... You know, you're going to a church that really isn't Christian. It gets even more interesting because there are churches who would consider us not to be Christians because we don't have a King James Bible. How can you ever call yourself a Christian? You don't have a King James Bible? How can that be? Well, so what is it? Is it Christ alone or is it Christ plus the King James Bible? What is it needed for salvation? What is necessary? What becomes the standard? Paul says, and that's why I ask you the question, do you believe that the Word of God is inerrant, infallible? Because here's where it comes. Do you believe that it is by Christ alone? Because notice what Paul is saying. Everything but that. Let it be accursed. Now, an accursed, folks, is not just, boy, I hope these people live naughty, bad lives. I hope God really makes life difficult. The Hebrew is anathema. Outside of the realm of God's blessing. What Paul is literally saying is, let them be damned. Let them be outside of the area where they can be reached by God's grace. Wow. Huh. I don't know, Pastor. I'm not real comfortable with that. Oh, see, now's where it comes, isn't it? Now's where it comes to, to whether or not. You see, now you know why they were after Luther. Because when Luther sees this and opens his eyes to it and begins preaching it, there were a whole bunch of people who all of a sudden were condemned. And of course they're going to try him as a heretic. But as sons and daughters of the Reformation, you and I as well, look as Luther did at God's Word and we see that we are indeed justified by faith through Christ alone. 
But that has severe consequences, doesn't it? What preachers do we turn our radios to to listen to? Is it those who are preaching Christ alone? Or is it Christ plus? Our sons and daughters, who are we allowing them to date? Christ alone? Or is it Christ plus? Understand what we're saying. That those who are apart from that true gospel. You see, and that's not denominational. Okay, we're not talking denominations here. We're talking simply the straightforward preaching of God's word. That can be heard across denominational lines. But the question is, is that what they're hearing? Or is it Christ plus? Or is it Christ minus? Or is it Christ at all? Well, you know, Pastor, for the most part they preach Christ. Yeah, they have these little oddities that that sort of add to the gospel. That's not so bad, is it? Let them be accursed, Paul says. Those who bring a gospel apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ are to be accursed. Anathema. It makes this passage crucial. Crucial. Because it affects our decisions. Where am I going to go to church when I'm on vacation? Oh, I don't know. I'll just pick any church I find. What church am I going to go to when I move to that city and there's really no Reformed church or church that's proclaiming Christ? Oh, I don't know. We'll find some nice, lovely congregation to be a part of. This affects it, doesn't it? If those who preach a gospel that is apart from the pure gospel of the word, are under a curse, are anathema, then Paul says, then why are you Galatians following after that? Why would you be drawn to that? That's where God's curse rests on. See, now, now understand, folks, in, in the way we would look at this, Paul's addressing not the liberals, he's addressing the conservatives. Because these are people who are thinking, Paul, you've made the gospel too broad. You, you've made it too easy, Paul. I mean, people can be saved through faith in Jesus Christ alone, that's it. Oh no, Paul, there's got to be more than that. Don't, don't we need some ceremonies? Don't we need some laws? Don't we need some restrictions? Don't we have to kind of make this smaller? And Paul says, you try to make the gospel smaller, you are accursed. 
But at the same token, you try to make the gospel broader. You also are preaching a different gospel. Let him be accursed. He's warning the Galatians about leaning towards being influenced by these false teachings of the gospel. Thirdly, Paul's servanthood. You'll recall that last Sunday I mentioned to you that one of the reasons that that one of the things we have going on in the book of Galatians is the challenge to Paul's apostleship. I just alluded to that a minute ago. These false teachers are coming in to these churches of Galatia asking them, you know, what did you come to know? Well, well, we came to faith through the teaching of Paul, uh, the teaching that we are saved through, justified through faith. By grace in Christ alone. That, that's the teaching that we have. Well, Paul? Hardly an apostle. Paul? He's just a man pleaser. He just preaches stuff so that you get a lot of people in. He's preached this, this easy thing. You know, Paul's just trying to make happy with all the people, you know. Paul himself says, you know, I become all things to all people, you know. This, you know, Paul, no, 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 that's for a time past. That's not for today. So Paul's defense is what he begins with in this section. Verse 4, or verse 10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? Paul's looking at him and saying, so how'd you like that? Does that sound like I'm trying to become Mr. Popular? Saying that if you are a false teacher of the gospel, you are accursed. Think that wins me a lot of friends? Am I trying to be a man pleaser now? Am I trying to be popular? Am I, am I trying to be all things to all people and just let everybody in the door of the church? Or do you recognize my authority? Do you recognize that that which I have just stated is an emphatic statement? It is an invocation, not a wish. So what is it? Am I just trying to preach an easy gospel? Easy believism? Paul is saying. Or do you recognize true apostleship? That's why he goes through it in a series of rhetorical questions. It's like, no, I don't think you're going to say that, Paul, if you're trying to be popular. That, that just, woo. That probably just diminished your popularity by about 50%. Sounds like a mean tweet, Paul. Doesn't it? Sounds like a mean tweet. Well, he has much more to say. He's not done. But he does want them to recognize the fact that he has done so because he is a servant of Christ. The word that Paul uses to use here is, is not the picture of a servant, you know, that we might think in 
high society and hot high fashion. We're not dealing with somebody here who is a butler. This is someone who is a bondservant. This is somebody who the, the more accurate perhaps would be slave. I cannot help but serve Christ because I am his slave. I cannot help but preach Christ because I am his slave. Of which there was no end. It's a subtle little thing. But you see, Paul chooses a term to describe himself in his relationship with Jesus Christ that was not going to change. See, that's what's going on in Galatia, right? These were people who said, well, you know, we're, we're slaves of Christ. But in essence, it sounds more like they're hired workers of Christ because now they are so quickly turning to a different gospel. Paul is saying my commitment to Christ is not a commitment of fickleness. I'm not just moving with the tide. I'm not just moving with the flow. I'm not just riding the crest until this particular doctrine wears itself out and then I'll find myself on the next wave. No. I am a slave of Christ. Forever and ever and ever. See, what is it that enables Luther to stand before that diet of worms faced with death and say, here I stand. I can do no otherwise. Because he's heard from the book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul say, I am the slave of Christ. I cannot do otherwise. He has heard from the Apostle Paul through the Holy Spirit, that there is no other gospel. And the gospel of Rome was to be accursed. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. I pray that 500 years after Luther we will still be able to stand and to say, here I stand. Here I stand upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here I stand on the fact that I am justified by faith through grace in Christ alone. Here I stand. I am a slave of Christ. I cannot do otherwise. God's people say, Amen.